There's a lot going on in that slide, so we're going to be talking about a couple of things this morning. But for the, the past few weeks, I've been sharing a sermon series about creation that I've titled From the Ground Up. In the first week, we looked at the creation of the earth and its inhabitants. We talked about the purpose behind creation and, and where we fit in the big picture. And last week, we looked specifically at the creation of man. As we reflected on the beauty of the earth, we sought a scriptural answer about our roles and responsibilities. And as you recall, God loved what he had created. He called it good, but he was frustrated. He became frustrated with the evil in the world, so he decided to destroy it all, you know, with the exception of the faithful Noah. And you know this story, right? He, he wiped out almost all civilization with, with some exceptions. But see, God knew what he had created was good. He didn't want to start over. He didn't want to do something different. He just needed a, a second chance for his creation to do a better job. He knew that what he had created was good and worth saving, so he, he promised to never again destroy his creation or mankind. A do-over, a second chance for all of us. And I posed this question. I said, how does a God that never lies or breaks a covenant, so he's not going to go back on this, how does he keep this, even though his wonderful creation had again become corrupt, right? We live in a fallen world. Well, he sent Christ Jesus to save us. And that makes you, that makes me, makes all of us a new creation. And we were reminded of the good news that not only were we created and blessed, but we have a second chance at a recreation. As the Apostle Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, okay, any man or woman is in Christ, he or she is a new creature, a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, they are become new. But this week, we're going to talk about some of the other aspects of creation, perhaps one you didn't realize was ordained by God himself. And, and they refer to these as three institutions or God-ordained institutes. And I don't care for that word institution. It kind of has a, you know, a, a, I don't know, a kind of a sterile feel to it that I, I don't really care for. But I love establishments or maybe foundations because these are foundations to build on. And these three foundations that are ordained by God are family, government, and church. And a few things I'd like to share to you with you up front is first, each institution of God is ordained for a specific purpose. God has a purpose for family. God has a purpose for government. God has a purpose for the church. And second, though there may be some minor overlapping, none of them should attempt to fulfill any purpose but its own. So let's see what scripture says about these important establishments. First, what does God want to do with family? What is his purpose for family? And family begins with marriage, Genesis 2:24, and then it's expanded on later in Matthew 19, 5 through 6. It says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Maybe you use this verse in your marriage and your wedding. So, so, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God has joined together. This is ordained relationship, this marriage that creates a family. And we looked at this last week, God's purpose for mankind found in Genesis 1. It says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It says, subdue and rule over it. Another purpose God has for families is to provide for his own. Right? We're supposed to take care of our family and to share with others in need. 1 Timothy 5.8 has these words, is anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now those are harsh words. But he's saying that to know 
God's will and to disobey or to deny your faith is, is worse than not knowing or not having heard because we can't claim ignorance about God or his will. We have a responsibility because we know God's will. And perhaps we can self-righteously answer, and I've said this, my kids have always had everything they've wanted or they've ever needed, right? Kids want for nothing. They, they do. They want stuff. But they've always had all of their physical needs met. But then when I ask the harder question, what have I provided for them as far as a reason for a relationship with God? I've given them food and clothing and shelter, but have I given them an understanding of God's purpose? That's a little harder question. Not harder to answer, just harder to be honest about. And it says, and do not forget to do good to share with others for with such sacrifice God is pleased. That's Hebrews 13, 16. And we use this a lot for the purpose of church. Do good, it says. This doesn't just mean to give out of your abundance, which we should do, right? It's a lot easier to give something when you've got plenty left, but when you get down to the last cookie in the, in the bag, right? Right, the last brownie, all of a sudden, that one brownies are very valuable. In my family, I, this isn't even written in here. I don't know why I'm sharing this. In our family, it was whoever ate the last brownie had to clean the plate. So that last brownie always got cut smaller and smaller and smaller. So no one ever had the, the, the end. But it's true. You hold on to things that you think are finite. And things like our money and our time. And, and at some point, we realize our health. You know, But don't just give out of the abundance. I've got a lot of free time, so I'm going to give you some. It says... Doing good means creating something of value to meet another's needs. I will free up time to help. I will take money that I could use for something else and give, right? Do good means to put an effort out. Romans 12, 13 says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And I thought, why would the Paul, the apostle say, Share with people who are in need and practice hospitality. This, this kind of go together, but that seems like a, a broken statement. And I realize the same thing I said about my children. There is a need that exists beyond our physical requirements, isn't there? We need food, clothing, shelter, the air we breathe. But don't we, don't we need some social interaction, some relationships? I mean, if this pandemic and the social isolation that has been a result of it haven't proven how much we need other people, around and just to see them. It's not the same to watch them on a TV screen as it is to be able to see them in person. It's not the same to nod and wish each other well as it is to give them a hug or a handshake. And lastly, scripture says to bring up the families, to bring up children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4, my kids used to quote this to me and I don't know how or why they found it, but it says, fathers do not exasperate your children. That's scriptural. We can argue the definition of exasperate. But, and it says, instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Now, that's the NIV translation. Contemporary English version uses this. It says, parents, don't be too hard on your children. But it says, raise them properly. Teach them and instruct them about the Lord. Now, that's not just good advice. That is the purpose of family. How many people went to church because their mom made them, right? How many, right? How many grandmothers take the grandkids? You know, mom's making dad go to church this week, whatever it may be. It, men and women have roles, but isn't it the, the total responsibility of family to do this? And then lastly, I propose that it's to build a spiritual legacy. 
You know, so in Genesis, and we, we read a little bit this morning, the Bible says, for I have chosen him, and God's talking about Abraham, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. You create a legacy. Now, they may go, your children may go to church only because we have always gone to church. That's just what we've done on Sunday, right? But you're creating a legacy of what's important if you're doing it right. Listen in Proverbs, it gives a couple pieces of wisdom. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Start off your children on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. We think we have so few years to make an impact on our life, but I promise you, knowing that, you know, how old I am and how my parents are, they still make an impact on our life. We still impact our children's lives. We cannot give up our role and responsibility as a family. Moving on to government. What purpose does God have for government? Well, we have a God of order, not of chaos. Okay, that's scriptural. And government is a part of this order that he has created. But government begins with God and is intended to regulate God's authority. Right? Our forefathers knew this and made numerous references to God's sovereign power and authority over this nation. And God I trust. Right? We talked about this on the, around the 4th of July holiday. We, I read a message called, It is for Freedom's Sake. And we talked about the influence and the actual verbiage of God the Father in the founding of, of our country. And the laws, if you think about them, are based on the truths and the, the, the laws that, that go back to the beginning of time. Don't kill, don't steal, right? Romans 13, 1-2, and this is our verse from this morning. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except which God has established. Now, God is the supreme authority, and he's established local authorities, authorities of the church, authorities in government. He says, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now, I'm not going to make a comment here on when governments are out of alignment with their with their with the Christian beliefs when they're out of alignment with their roles. We'll talk about that in a second. I'm not making a specific comment. I'm just saying when government is acting on the authority of God and the, the laws and rules based on scripture, we need to follow them because they are an authority. They are God's authority enforcing the things that we should be doing or not doing. And the government exists to provide security for the good. Listen to this. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Now, you ever drive down the road and all of a sudden a police car comes up behind you? What happens? It, it should be nothing because you should be doing fine. You shouldn't even worry. But how many people go, huh, wonder if I was speeding just a little bit, right? Did I use my turn signal? Scripture says for the, they, rulers hold no terrors for those who do right, but they do for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. God's purpose for government is to protect the good, but it's also to punish the evil. Romans 13, 4 going on, it says, but if you do wrong, be afraid for rulers do, do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment to the wrongdoer. And likewise, it can be an instrument to carry out God's divine plan. Job says he makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless waste. So we've seen God's role for family and a little bit of God's role for government. But what is his purpose for the church? 
First is to make known the wisdom of God. Ephesians 3.10, Paul writes, His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authority in the heavenly realms. And you say, well, can't we learn on our own? Why do we need church to understand what God's, God wants us to do? I say, ask millions of children right now who are trying to learn remotely what it's like, okay? For whatever reason, they're having to do this by self-study. It, it takes a special level of discipline. It takes a knowledgeable source. If you're gonna learn anything, you need to learn from someone who knows something about what you're trying to learn. And it takes encouragement. These are all things we come to church for. It takes discipline sometimes more than others to sit here for an hour on a Sunday morning, right? Or to get out of bed and be here. It takes a knowledgeable source. We read the Bible. This church is based on biblical truths. I'll give you my opinions. I'll give you bad jokes. But if I can't quote the scripture where it's coming from, then you need to have words with me, right? And it takes encouragement. I hope you're feeling encouraged here this morning. I hope the people in this room smile when you came in and will wish you well when you leave. It takes encouragement and positive reinforcement. And of course, there's that social X factor that says, I just want to see people. I want to have a relationship. I want to know that I'm not the only one struggling with this or who has faced this. I, don't, I want to know that I'm not the only one celebrating whatever it is we're celebrating. Okay, That's part of God's purpose for church. And the church is founded to be the foundation of teaching the truth. First Timothy 3.15, Paul writes to Tim, young Timothy, who he had sent ahead. And he says, Timothy, although I hope to come see you soon, I'm writing you these instructions. That, so if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. So there's a definition of church, God's household, which is the church of the living God. He goes, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Now, I like that, the pillar and foundation of the truth. It is the truth. If the church is not based on the Bible, then it's just a motivational speech. We do this through evangelism. Again, 2 Timothy, preach the word, be prepared in season without, and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and courage with great patience and careful instruction. We are to share the word. We're to hear the word. And of course, we know the word that says, go, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to all creation. These are instructions. And again, even Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize. Not everybody has the same calling. He says, but I'm here to preach the gospel, not even with wisdom and eloquence. He says, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Remember, because Paul was not the nicest guy. We talked about that in Bible study this morning. Not the nicest guy. And he, he had an aha moment. He needed a, a swift kick to get him to that aha moment. But he had an encounter with God. And he said, I'm not here to do everything for everyone. I am just here to preach. And I'm not even that good of a speaker, but hear what I'm saying. And again, I talked about the social X factor. There's, there's some edification, which is education and enlightenment that God has a purpose for the church. Hebrews 10, 24 through 15. I'm gonna say that's 25. I must have typed that wrong, but Hebrews 10. It, I love this. This is the heart of the church. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as the day approaches. Let us consider, let's be thoughtful in how we spur one another on by showing love and good deeds. He says, don't give up meeting together, right? He says, 
encourage one another all the more. And lastly, last on my list, through benevolence and putting our faith in action. We come here, we hear God's word, but we also get a calling from here to go and do. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. You know this. Christ laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and with truth. Now, I began by sharing two key thoughts with you. One is each institute God ordained has a specific purpose, and we kind of talked about those on a high level. And second, I said, though there may be some minor overlapping, none should ever try to fulfill any purpose of, of its own, but its own. But now that we've learned a little from Scripture, I'd like to add a third point. Though we as individuals have responsibilities toward each of these institutions, right? My role as a husband and as a father. I must distinguish my role separately. What is my role in government? What is my role in church? You know, for lack of a better term, God has instituted a separation of powers. Could you go ahead and click the slide? More eye candy here. The family was the first to be created, right? Adam and Eve for the first family. And we talked about the purpose and role of mankind last week. It is the most fundamental of these three institutes. And the family is the focus of love and protection and kindness. The government and the church exist for the good of families when it's done right, when it's done properly. Families can change and influence government by democratic means, and they can hold church leadership accountable to teach and nurture according to God's word. It's a sort of checks and balances, right? We can elect our officials, we can remove our officials. You can, you know, you can choose your leadership in church, you can remove your leadership in church. There's some checks and balances, but the family's focus is love, protection, and kindness. And within the family, a man's role is as husband and father, and the wife as partner and mother. And children are under the guidance and protection of the parents and are subject to their parents until such time they become husband and then father, or wife and then mother. And again, the church is the body that is to convey, to teach the Lord's will and uphold it before others with word and in action. And this requires the church body, the church members of us to live a Christ-like life despite the temptation and influences of the material world. First John's 2.15 warns us to not love the world or anything in it, right? Not to love them like we love God for sure. But simply put, the church is, is an agent, an ambassador of God's blessing. And we do this through our ministries and functions as we share the good news of salvation and we help others find a relationship with Jesus Christ. And lastly, the government. Its function is to maintain order as the agent of God's justice as it enacts laws in accordance with the revealed will of God, right? An author described the government's role this way. He said, the state protects life and property by the rule of law and as such sustains a police force, judiciary, and penal system. The penal system is run by Christians who seek restorative as well as retributive justice. Can you imagine if, I mean, this should be true. I'd like to think it's true, but can you imagine if, if that's the way the government works? The government must also employ an Army, Navy, and Air Force to protect life. It might also oversee the planning and maintenance of national infrastructure. The state should be run by believing, communicant Christians, but its structures must be separate from those of the church. Bishops should not sit in government, and MPs should not be church leaders. That was their, that was their explanation. But do you understand how God should influence government? 
And we, as humans and citizens, as families, need to have that influence and make sure it's working that way. But just like so many other things, we can get in the way of God's plan. Conflict can be created when we allow those lines of responsibility to get a little fuzzy, when there's overreach or where there's an absence or a failure of responsibility. Historically, when, when the church has taken the authoritative power and responsibility intended for government, right? And that's happened. We've seen it in history. When morality is dictated by anyone other than God, when your morality is dictated by politics, by Hollywood, you know, by anything other than God himself, when the family does not take responsibility for the fundamental purpose that God created mankind to fulfill, there's no peace. And I don't know, just mean riots and dissension and war. I'm talking about the deep kind of soul-nurturing peace that God intended for his creation to enjoy. On the flip side, when the church is absent, then government must assume the role of teacher and caregiver and healer, right? When families are absent, government must step in to educate, nurture, and care for the individuals that families are failing to take care of. And when government is absent, infrastructure suffers and maybe lawlessness increases. Let's go back to the original slide if you go forward there. I don't want to get overly political, but I want you to understand the roles and responsibilities and what we have in them. And friend, here's the good news, right? Our loving God, who is the creator of all things, has a divine plan, and he has an intelligent order for things. Everything has a purpose. And there is a hope and a plan for a peaceful life and for a blessed nation. And this week, my prayer and challenge for you is that you consider your role in the areas of family. What is my godly role as a wife, as a husband, as a father, as a, a child. You, you look at your role in the church. What can I be doing to be an active participant, to be growing in my faith and doing those things, encouraging others to spur them on in love, right? What about your role in government, okay? Maybe you shouldn't run for Senate, but maybe there's something you could be doing to make sure the things that you hold dear, knowing based on God's will, that you're trying to let people to think the same way. And I want you to get involved in a way that is scriptural and divinely ordained. Now that's the secret, right? We can all stand up against what we believe is wrong, but can we do it in a Christian way? Can we do it with the appropriate kindness and love and peace that makes a difference? And I think we can. So make an effort to influence change if needed, not towards your will or way, but towards God's will and plan. And in unsettled times, it's not only all you can do, it's absolutely what you should do. So may God bless you in your efforts and your Christian life choices. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father God, Lord of all creation, it's so easy to realize and recognize that you created this beautiful earth, beautiful nature that we're surrounded by. Lord, every creature, the ones we love, the ones we think are adorable, the ones that just drive us crazy, you created them all. Lord, you created man and woman, and you've given us purpose, and you've given us responsibilities. And Lord, this week, as we look at some of the other things that you have created and ordained as a foundation for a blessed life, which is our family and our church and our government, Lord, may we seek your guidance in every single area of these. May we be the most Christian family that we can be. May we influence 
government and this church in a way that honors and glorifies you. Lord, as we leave this place this week, may we do that so important thing, which is to go and make a difference and take action on our faith. God, as always, I want to thank you for this church. I thank you so often for the building and and what it represents, but also just the, the people that are here. Lord, what a wonderful, wonderful display of love and friendship and neighborhood. God, we ask that you continue to lead others this direction so that we can turn them towards you. May this church always serve its primary function, and that is to be a place of comfort and healing, a place of learning and education and nurturing. Father God, we ask your forgiveness when we fall short of your expectations in any of these areas. And we thank you for the grace and mercy that you have promised us as we try again. Lord, I thank you again for all you do and all you've created. Amen.